You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. back to the Dabble Code podcast. I am excited today. Finally, we've been trying to get together and do this for months. I have my good friend, Katie Boucher, aka Savvy Derm. Um, I know a lot of you follow her. She is a board certified in dermatology nurse practitioner, and she has one of the most helpful Instagram accounts and YouTube channels um, that I think that was, has been a huge resource um, for me and for all my patients at the Skin Click. And um, love talking to her today. Um, I'm, I actually want to talk to Katie about us. You know, we're going to do, I'm sure at some point in the future, like a whole hour dedicated to skincare. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit today, but, um, Katie and I really actually connected over different life things. Um, and we just felt like it would be a good, fun conversation to have. And, um, anyway, welcome. Thanks Katie. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we finally got this, uh, life is crazy and it's, uh, harder to schedule than you would think, but glad to be here. Literally today, all it took me 45 minutes. Like I had to update my computer. I can't connect my headphones. Like, I don't know. It's, it's like the apocalypse is happening. And And now it's dark in the room because my husband doesn't trust me to turn lights (laughs) off. So all of our lights are, are on timers. And so if I go dark, don't worry, I'm still here. Um, (laughs) gosh, well, okay. How are you? So tell me, I, if, if there are people that don't know who you are and kind of yeah. tell me, tell me your background and how did you, I, you know, with skin stuff, I feel like everybody wants to be in the skin world and the skin mm-hmm. game and it, it is fun, but it takes a lot of work. And I, so I'd love to hear yeah. kind of your background and the additional training that you did and, mm-hmm. and just everything, the hours that it took to, yeah. to get your, your titles and, and where you are today. Yeah. So I get asked all the time about how did you get into dermatology? How did you get into aesthetics? Um, and while I would love to have a magic answer, um, it actually kind of happened by accident for me. So I am from Delaware and I went to school outside of Philly and I had a job, uh, at shop, which, uh, I wanted to do pediatric oncology. That was always the plan. Um, one of my very best friends growing up, uh, had cancer and had passed away. Right. And that's just what I wanted to do. Uh, I worked as a nurse extern in a hospice center for a few years. And, um, my mom's a hospice nurse and that's, I really wanted to do I like, mm-hmm, I wanted to do the kind of the kids. I don't know now looking back how I, um, how, now that I have children, but that was the plan. So right. I last minute, I had a job, which was, you know, obviously great at a amazing hospital. And I was nannying for, uh, these sweet people through college. And I will never forget the kids were sleeping and I was just Googling teaching hospitals. Cause I all of a sudden was like, I don't know that I want to stay here. Like, I think I want to come back here eventually, but I knew I wanted to get my nurse practitioner. I've known that since I was I don't know, probably 12. Uh, and so I was like, I'll move somewhere while I get my NP. Cause I never really got to move super far when I went to college. It was like two hours away. Right. So, um, I was going to move. There's a 
really good children's hospital at home called AI DuPont and they were opening up a place in Florida and I was going to move there, but then I was like, eh, maybe I want to be a little bit closer. So if I need to get in the car and drive home, I can. So MUSC had popped up in my Google search because I'd never been to South Carolina. And um, it was very unlike me because I'm, I'm very much a planner. And so I told my parents, I'm like, I just want to go visit and see, you know, what's there. And obviously anyone who's ever been to Charleston will uh yeah i mean you you can't um come here so i ended up coming and signing a lease and so i moved down and uh my best friend kate was like you know what she's like a total fly by the seat of her pants she's the complete opposite of me she was like you know what i'll just come down for the summer and waitress and that way you won't be alone and then i'll move back and she ended up staying for two years so i um I apply, I kept applying for jobs and I didn't have any experience. So everywhere I went as a nurse, you were as a nurse. Yeah, this is as a nurse. So I had my RN and, um, so I, I was getting extremely frustrated because I was like, how am I going to get any experience if nobody hires me? So they were like, just get a job anywhere for a year and then come back and we'll, we'll take you. So, um, I went on Craigslist and was applying everywhere. And that was kind of how I got, uh, landed a job in dermatology. I had zero interest in dermatology. And I told them that when I went for my interview, I was like, look, I, which like, here's a selling point. I don't actually want to do this. Like terrible advice for any new nurse. But I was like, I need to get a year experience. I'm going into my nurse practitioner program. You know, I did the opposite of what you're probably ever supposed to do. And they, I, you know, they, they had just had a really bad experience with a mid-level uh, a PA and they, um, they were like, you know what? Great. We're never hiring a mid-level again. So, uh, this is perfect. So I started there. I knew nothing. I mean, they don't teach you in nursing school. Um, you, you don't learn very much at all. So it was like a whole new world. So at first it was, you know, a very, very steep learning curve, but, um, I quickly was like, this is really interesting. Like I can do surgery, I can do procedures, I can do rashes. And, um, I would probably say after I was there about a year, I was like, maybe I could do this. And then, um, I've, I've been with the same practice for 10 years. So I was there for a nurse, uh, as a nurse for five years. And then, um, I've been an NP there now for five so I did kind of fall into it by accident, but you don't stay in it by accident. So I, yeah. um, I joined the, the DNA, which is the Dermatology Nursing Association early on. Um, and I always kind of took more of an interest in like the learning modules. And I mean, to be honest, I, I had a lot to learn. I had, it's, it's a very steep learning curve yeah. as for anyone, especially a new, you know, a brand new nurse. So and you, um, know, you were so much in the medical dermatology world. I feel like people don't even really realize now, obviously when you train as a dermatologist, you learn both, you know, mm-hmm. medical anesthetics, but then, but then a, there's a lot of kind of division after that, that happens. And a, a lot of people doing tons of medical dermatology mm-hmm. don't necessarily do as much yeah. aesthetics part and then, mm-hmm. and vice versa. If you're doing yeah. any kind of aesthetics, you don't end up yeah. doing as much medical. So you did a ton, I mean, five years of medical dermatology nursing yeah. is significant. Yeah, it, uh, it wasn't, I mean, even it still wasn't, I mean, there, there were still things that I, I didn't know after that. So I think that when I realized I wanted to, to become an NP in the field, I was kind of 
not told, but it was kind of insinuated, well, you can either choose medical or you can choose cosmetic. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to choose. I I like, I love, I love doing both. That's the whole reason that I, um, kind of fell in love with it. So, um, I don't meet many, I mean, I hope that changes, but I don't meet many NPs and PAs that do like a solid mix. It's usually heavily one or the other, one or the other. So, Mm -hmm. which I understand it's, it's a lot. Um, and I actually didn't do any cosmetics for, I don't know, like even when I started it for like a good, probably year and a half, two years, I still didn't do any, um, cosmetics. I focused on studying for my boards, which I took two years after I got my nurse practitioner license. Okay. So how many, you were telling me about this one time and I was like, Oh my God. So how many hours you, you took a board certification for dermatology for for the NP, um, to be a board certified NP in dermatology, but how many hours specifically in Durham did you have to have before you were even eligible to sit for that? 4,000 before you can apply. And then you, you apply and then a, a, a board of, or panel of people, um, re, you know, it's a whole process and they can say no uh, yeah. if they don't think that you're ready for it. Uh, and so I, that's why the first two years I like just, worked nonstop in general. And, um, because I knew there weren't going to be any cosmetic or very little cosmetic, uh, questions on the test. So yeah, 4,000 hours as before you can apply, then you could apply to take it. And then I studied for a year. Mm. It's a lot. It was a lot. A lot. Yeah. Um, so that's your background, which is super fun. And I, like I said, I mean, I know obviously Katie and I, we talked about this before, like we will do a whole separate episode on, you know, I'm so tempted to ask like, what are your top three skincare tips and what are your favorite skincare products? But, you know, I mean, you talk about that on all your YouTube Mm -hmm. and Instagram. And so anybody who wants to know that from you, I feel like can find it, but yeah, you just, you and I both actually, we have very much bonded over unique Mm -hmm. and weird medical experiences, but, um, tell, I want to tell your story about mouse and mm-hmm. what you went through with that and, and what it is and just your experience, obviously you're a, you're a provider, but your experience as a patient and, yeah. and kind of what you went through to one, you know, figure out and get your own diagnosis and mm-hmm. then, you know, your surgery and all that. So yeah. what, what is mouse and how did you get there? So, um, mouse or MALS, everyone, uh, says it differently is, uh, it's called median arcuate ligament syndrome. And, um, it is essentially where your median arcuate ligament compresses your celiac artery, which is, um, you know, kind of in your upper abdominal area. Um, and gosh, it was so crazy. I, I had my daughter, she's almost four now. So, um, I had a really rough pregnancy, but you know, join the club pretty much. A lot of people had a rough pregnancy, but after I had her, I started to get some pretty significant GI issues, uh, mainly, uh, nausea and vomiting. And I, she was probably close to a year when it started, um, at least started to be enough for me to like really stop and take notice. But as every mom knows with a new baby, like the first year is a blur. So, which is funny because you and I have like literally the exact same timeline. Like I specifically remember Tilly being nine months old and being am I depressed? Like, am I insane? Is it my baby? Is it me? What is happening? And you just, you don't know. No. 
And so I, you know, I, I think perhaps I had symptoms earlier than that, but I was so wrapped up in being right. a new mom and trying to work. And I just, you know, you're on the back burner. So I started to get some not like nausea and vomiting. And then it kind of got like constant. And the, the biggest first red flag for me was I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a big person. I'm a athletic build, I guess you could say, but like my entire life for me to like lose five pounds would be next to impossible. And again, when you're having a young mom, I'm, I'm not like getting on the scale, but I like rapidly started to lose weight. Yeah. And, uh, at first I was like, sweet, maybe hey. like, this is my, this is my time to shine. Uh, and you know, I, I dropped 10 or 15 pounds, which, you know, needed to, to still come off. Um, I was very fortunate going into this, that I did have an extra 15 pounds, uh, to spare, but I essentially lost like 50 pounds in Good like God. a three to four month period. Yeah. It was nuts. And it was like, so fat like I've that's when I knew something was wrong because I don't I'm like do you have cancer like that, yeah like that on? doesn't happen so the first thing I did you know I went to my GP and with MALS especially initially like the symptoms are very vague so like it, you can go in and I don't I don't blame my GP at all like right. for one thing it's so incredibly rare so right. I, we have to I feel like you you and I both it's like we have to acknowledge what both of us had is so rare so rare yeah like if you've got a weird a weird rare thing like you're never blaming the people in the well no. you're not blaming anybody it's just rare no. but like you you don't you should never expect your providers to be looking for they um, don't, don't look for a zebra yeah. right like yep. if it sounds like horse you know hoof yep. beats, hoof print whatever yep. like probably a horse, not a yes. zebra. Yes. And so I went to her, I think she put me on some like, you know, nausea, which I mean, I think it's important to know I've had an issue with nausea to a degree my whole life. Like mm -hmm. in college, I would have two drinks and be violently ill the next day. Like I've always had like a very, a nausea. Like I've been on Zofran since I was 15, probably. You're, and, You're like a natural bar. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, and that was normal for me. So I think that also made it less like, Oh, whatever. Like I've always had nausea. Um, and you know, obviously hindsight's 2020 20. looking back, I'm like, why didn't I ever go see, like, you should not be taking Zofran multiple times a week for, for 15 years. Right. Yeah. That's weird. Um, yeah, that's not normal. So, um, eventually she was like, look, I think we need to send you to GI, um, so I, I saw GI briefly after I had my daughter, that's a whole nother story. Um, and so I had a good relationship with this, um, provider. So I, you know, went back to her and was like, you know, let's try and figure this out. So they, um, kind of did all the general stuff. And then what ended up happening was I was running one day and I came back and got these like stabbing, like abdominal pains and had like, was like passing blood. And so obviously everybody, uh, that's a little alarming. So we went to the hospital, they ended up doing a, um, colonoscopy and they diagnosed me with ischemic colitis, which is essentially where a part of your bowel like dies. Is dying. And they, I remember them being like, if we didn't have a biopsy of this, like that, we wouldn't believe that, that you had it. You're, you know, 30 years old. This is not, um, this is not normal. So then they sent me to hematology and, you know, did that whole gamut. Everything was normal. Um, all the while my symptoms are just getting worse and worse and worse. And you're like kind of dying a slow death. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I was, I, 
it was you're getting hard. IV, like your yeah. you your husband had to like learn how to oh, get yeah. IVs at home and because yeah. you were constantly like yeah. at this point I was living on boost which I will never drink again until the day I, ever uh, living on boost and I was getting IVs four days a week that my husband who's an engineer uh, learned how to do because I was still working full time I was yeah. still I was getting IVs at lunch it, it was ugh, a disaster so. Finally, I had, you know, I would get these, I would always have nausea and vomiting. Like I couldn't keep anything down, but I would get these episodes of like just writhing in pain. And one of them, I went to the hot, my husband took me to the hospital in the middle of the night and mind you, we have an infant. So I'm like, you know, it's not very convenient. And so they ended up admitting me because I had been to the ER like two or three times and been sent home with no answers. And, you know, my husband, we don't have family here. So, you know, at this point he's getting kind of scared and frustrated because we're not getting anywhere. So he was like, she's not leaving. Like you need to figure it out. You need to run every test. I don't care. Like something is wrong with her. She's lost 50 pounds. I mean, I was down to skin and bones. And so they admitted me and I was in the hospital for like five days. Um, and I'll never forget the doctor coming in and I, I guess because I've been on the other side as a, as a, you know, as the provider. And I remember her coming in one morning and sitting on my bed and being like, everything is normal. Like we've run all the tests. There's really not much more we can do. So if you've been following Dabble Co. and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, it solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. And I remember my husband had gone to get my daughter uh, and to take her to school, and I remember sitting there and thinking, what is she saying? Like, really kill? I mean, like, what, you know, in my mind, I'm like, what's the next step? Like, and I said that I said, you know, like, what, what do we do? And she was like, I don't really know how to help you. And, you know, that was pretty much code for nothing. See ya. Nothing's really wrong. Yeah. And so that was definitely an extremely low point because I, you know, working in healthcare, I've been signed science and I, uh, they had run all the tests and I trusted her, you know, I, I, I didn't. And so that was really hard because I, you know, I remember my husband coming back and me being like, maybe this is in my head. Like, and you, and you do get there too, as a provider, like there, there are, you know, 
she, you know, that team had done all they knew to do. I mean, and that, that happens and you get to the end of the road for yeah. that, for what you think is the end of the road for that patient. And you're, I mean, that's happened to all of us where you're like, I, I yeah. it's not that I don't want to help you. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. We don't know what else yeah. to do. And it's defeating obviously for the team, but it's, I, I mean, we'll never realize how defeating it is for the patient, you know? Yeah. And so I remember her kind of like looking at me a little bit differently. And I don't want to say that as a healthcare provider, you get um, treated differently, but you do a little bit. I mean, I I definitely, I definitely think that there's a little bit of a uh, professional courtesy, if you will. Um, And I, was kind of like, Oh shit. Like what, what now? Like, what, am, <laughs> what are we going to do now? So I was ready to kind of just like go home and I don't know. I, I don't, like, yeah. I mean, I don't, happen? I don't, I, I didn't know, but I was like, this woman is telling me that there's nothing. She all but said it was in your head. She she said it without saying it. So yeah. fortunately my husband was like, listen, I have watched you wake up in the middle of the night half a dozen times screaming in pain. Like that is not in your head. I don't care what anyone doctor here says. Like, yeah, I will take you to every doctor in the country until we figure this out. Like there's something wrong with you. So I'm very grateful that he didn't just take no for an answer. So what ended up happening was one of the reps at our office, her, brother was the head of GI at Mayo Clinic. And so I was always at work, even when I was sick, but that week I was out, she had come in and was like, where's Katie? And they kind of filled her in. So she called me and was like, Hey, like, I just want to throw it out there. My brother's the head of GI at Mayo. I can get you in. And initially I was like, I'm not driving to Florida to go see a doctor. Um, but I quickly realized. And then you're like, well, maybe running, running out of options. So Florida, Florida it is. So we drove down, like, I'll never forget. I was like, this is, this is it. Like if Mayo says nothing's wrong with me, nothing's wrong with me. I'm going to the psych hospital. Yeah, exactly. Like that, it had definitely gotten to that point because I was so, I was so sick. I was so mentally not in a good place, especially after being told that there's nothing wrong with you. Um, when they're clearly, uh, I'm like, whether it's mental or not, something's wrong. So we went to the Mayo clinic, but before we did, um, I'll never forget the hematologist that I had seen was a young guy and he just was like very intrigued by my case for some reason. He was Uh like, you're just so young. Like these things don't make sense. And he'd actually called me on a Saturday and was like, this was like months after I'd seen him. And he was like, Hey, I just, I haven't been able to stop thinking about your case. Like, and I just, I I just saw you were hospitalized and, um, this is not in my wheelhouse. He was like, but I, I I've read through your chart just cause it's just been like on my mind. And he was like, I saw that you had, um, a narrowing of your celiac artery. And I was like, okay. Um, I, I mean, who is this guy? Like what a freaking gym. He's an angel. And so he was like, I don't know anything about this. I, this is not my wheelhouse. He was like, but everything else is normal. He was like, I think you have MALS. And he was like, I think you need to go find uh-huh. someone who's going to work you up for it. And so that's what kind of gave me like a glimmer of hope of like, okay. That's so wild. I mean, so he just happened to still, so and just, people may be like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. How did that happen? But like, 
So a lot of times we'll make patient lists on, in the electronic medical records, like mm-hmm. at the hospital, pe- people you've seen or whatever, yeah. and you can kind of keep, basically keep tabs. Keep tabs. On yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're our patient, you're our patient forever, you yep. know, unless we're like, get, you know, yep. from our practice. But so that's super interesting that he was thinking about yeah. it enough that and to then like check back management. that's so yeah. wild yes. i mean did you like write him a thank you note yeah. I oh yeah this person i want to write him a thank you note. oh i literally yeah i mean i i like credit him for my diagnosis or yes. at least for for getting it when i did because if the the median time if you look i'm like up to date of ma less being diagnosed is it's like two and a half years after your symptoms start um and so i obviously did what everyone is not supposed to do. And I Googled MALS. Um, and I was like, I have like, yeah, totally. Like I like, I have this. And so I went to Mayo for that diagnosis and I, what was frustrating was I back up a second. I forgot about this before I went to Mayo. I'd, I'd gotten the connection there. I had my appointment I went to see a vascular surgeon here. um, Oh, this story makes my blood boil. Yeah. So who I will not name. And, uh, I was like, Hey, like, I know this sounds crazy. I was like, I know I probably do not have this condition, but I, before I go to Florida, um, to see this doctor, I would love to rule this out. And so I was like, I, I think I could have MALS and I think that I need, it needs to be ruled out. And just, I guess for everyone else's knowledge, the, the way that you do that is an ultrasound of your very celiac, simple. very not, basic, non-invasive, super doesn't basic. even really cost that much. Nope. Like, Easy. Seven Nothing. To eight minutes. Yep. So I went to him and was like, I would love to be able to bring this with me to, to Mayo when my, this team of doctors looks at me, I would like to have all the information to give them so that I have my best shot of getting help. And, uh, he wouldn't do it. Um, and I was like, you know, I just, it's, you know, I wasn't asking for pain medicine. I wasn't asking for anything crazy. And he was like, I have been a vascular surgeon for 30 years. I've never seen this. It is extremely rare. You don't have it. And so I also side note, like if anybody's, if you are seeing a provider and they are truly, truly a humble expert and Mm -hmm. like a clinician and a true academic, like a true expert would never, at least the ones that I feel like, I mean, I've worked with some of the top head and neck surgeons Mm -hmm. in the country and some of the top, you know, like malignant surgeons, they would never say that. I mean, they just would never say Mm -hmm. You know, never say never of anything. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't say Mm-mm. you don't a hundred there. You don't have this. I'm not going to order the test. Mm-hmm. I've never yes. seen this. They're never seen don't it. have it. Just, yeah. So if you are in a position, I'm t- speaking to patients, like if you're in a position where you feel like you're, you have this relationship with your provider where there, there's just something simple. You're requesting something simple like that. Mm-hmm. They, they're just, te- I mean, go find, get a second opinion, yeah. get a third opinion, get mm-hmm. a fourth opinion. It's yeah. fine. It's an ego thing. So I, fortunately at that point was a little bit more confident in what was going on. Although I still didn't know what was going on. I, after kind of researching it and I was like, I I, I have this, like, I'm, I'm confident that I have this. So I basically said, thank you. Bye. And, uh, we went to drove, drove down to Florida to Mayo and, um, cannot say enough good things about them. They're like, a dream of like, I wish, I wish medicine could run that way everywhere. 
Um, and so they did the ultrasound, uh, shocker. And that's what they were like, why didn't you get an ultrasound before you came here? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. So, um, they did the ultrasound, but that's not the, the, the final diagnosis. That's just the probable. So they Mm -hmm. measure your velocity and I don't remember what exactly mine was, but my artery was like 98%, um, like occluded, which is fine because you have collateral circulation there. But what they said was, um, all right, you know, we think you could have this. There's neurogenic MALS and there's, I think it's called compression MALS. I can't remember. And so I went back and um, like a month later, it was on uh, New Year's Eve and I had a procedure, which was wild because you're awake for it. You have to be. And they, um, I don't know why it's slipping my mind, the name of the procedure right now, but they thread a catheter up your groin into your oh. celiac artery oh. and they inject all of these dyes and stuff. dyes and drugs. And so, um, it was not fun, but I, they determined that it was neurogenic. It was my nerves that was causing the issue. And then I had done enough research at that point that I knew I wouldn't want to be treated there because they didn't have, like, I wanted to go to the guy, you know, the MALS guy, the one that's done the most. So I came home with the diagnosis. Um, and then I interviewed a surgeon, which I also feel the need to say this, like as a patient, interview your doctor, like interview the person who's going, especially if you're having something crazy done that is, high risk. And so I interviewed three surgeons before I I chose one. Um, I interviewed a doctor at MUSC who was amazing, who's very nice, knowledgeable, but he'd only done it 12 times. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so he, he also did it only laparoscopically. So while I feel like pretty much everything else is always like, yes, do it laparoscopically. You want a lap, but with, uh, MALS and the neurogenic type that it was, you couldn't, in order to visualize all those nerves, you just can't, you can't visualize it when it's laparoscopic. So the, um, the relapse rate, uh, or the failure rate was like after one year was like 65%. And that's terrible. Fun fact, you can only do the surgery twice because it sits right on top of your aorta and the risk for rupture. And there's like nothing in between it is like super high. So you kind of want to do it right the first time. So Hmm. I ended up, uh, researching this surgeon in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm like, I'm not going to Connecticut to have surgery. Um, and so he's like the guy, he had a 94% cure rate. Um, you know, I actually, which I don't necessarily recommend doing this, but, um, I actually found him on an MALS, which Mayo told me, he said, join an MALS support group because it, it, it's so rare that you, well, That's you're not going to have that experience the same thing and I was like I really like first of all had to recreate a Facebook account I had to delete it you know I'm like I don't I hate Facebook as the devil like I yes yeah recreate my account and join this thing and and I'll tell you like so when people I I actually posted about my so I so my weird thing is called superior canal dehiscence and I posted about it the other day and a couple of people reached out to me and were like, I think I might have it. Or one lady Mm -hmm. said she'd been diagnosed. And I was like, listen, I'm going to tell you to join the support group, but then use it. Don't live there. No, get out, like get out of it because there are, there are people and there are patients who this becomes their identity. And it's like, you can get sucked into this vortex, especially when there are people there with you sympathizing with what's going on. And so on the one hand, it's very nice to not 
to feel because these diseases also are very isolating. Like it's very isolating when people can't really outwardly see Mm -hmm. what's going on. And like, you don't have, I kept saying, you know, I'd be like, well, I don't have cancer. So like, that's fine. You know, that's great. Like there are people our age getting diagnosed with breast cancer and colon cancer. And I felt this weird sense of like, I'm, I'm not dying. Yes. I'm fine, yes. mm-hmm. but also I kind of was yeah. dying, like, like yeah, you can't sustain a life that way. It's weird. So yeah. the support groups just, yeah, I, I, so it's I, funny. I did the same thing too. Yeah. I, I get tell there, get, the hell get in there, get the info and get out. So luckily I was able to connect with two or three patients that, um, I would talk to outside of this group because just uh-huh. like you said, I initially went on this group and it's like, on one hand, you're getting all this amazing information. And on the other hand, you're like, oh shit, this like reading about people who can't work anymore and they're all on feeding tubes. And like, so you can't go down that rabbit hole. Um, But it was hard because I wanted to like be a sponge and learn as much as I could about what this diagnosis that I had. And so I went to, ended up getting uh, a flight and going to Connecticut to meet this, um, this surgeon, Dr. Shu, and he, it was, a, was a surgeon. I mean, he's, he was not very personable, but he, like, this is literally all he does. Like he's, right. he's the MALS guy. So Which I is, went there. That's why I went to Hopkins too. Cause I, it's same, we both got evaluated. So I was working at, at MUSC mm-hmm. in the, in the department in which I would have had surgery. Yep. And so it was very uncomfortable to say, like, I'm not going to let you guys do my surgery. But I also knew they were doing maybe one or two a month, like a, a few a quarter. And the, mm-hmm. the surgeon that I saw at Hopkins was doing like four or five a week, you know, yep. and it's like you want the person that's who you go to is look, that's all they do. Yeah, for the absolutely. Most. When you have something that's super rare and super weird. rare, if you can, you know, if you can. Yes. Can. Um, and privilege. Exactly. And that, that's another thing I was just about to say is I, after go, have going through this, you know, we were financially devastated by this condition. I mean, we were flying all over God's creation to different places and, you know, insurance doesn't cover. And obviously we were making it work, but we, we drained our, you know, nest egg. Yeah. Um, but I, we didn't have a choice. It's like, I, I, you know, I went to see Dr. Shu and he was like, well, you're not going to die, but you're going to have a feeding tube soon and you can live like that. Uh, and I was like, no, <laughs> that's yeah. not acceptable for me. So he yeah. sent me home and said, you need to get a, um, a block. So they describe MALS, the pain and the symptoms you get as end stage pancreatic cancer, which oh, once I wow. heard that, I was like, wow. Um, definitely doesn't get the same attention that end-stage pancreatic cancer does. But, um, so they actually go in again, awake. MALS was not a a fun trip, but they go in with these two giant needles through your back into your celiac artery. They inject eye and make sure they're there. And then they do a cocktail of lidocaine and steroid to, uh, anesthetize the nerves that are causing the issue. So the surgeon I saw that it was very controversial. He's the only surgery this way. He's not well liked by his peers. I don't think. Um, but he believes that the, the symptoms of MALS and all of what you experience with the nausea, the pain, the vomiting is from the nerves, not from the compression because you have this collateral circulation there. So he's like that doesn't make sense that, you know, so they do this block and, um, they have you 
like going in and out of a CT because it's super dangerous where the needles are to make sure they're in the exact right place. They put the medicine on, they take you back to your room and they basically say, order a big meal, like order. I, I got five guys. That's what I ordered. Keep mind you, I've not eaten a meal in six months. Like, Ah. or if I did, I didn't keep it down. Like, but a meal for me was like toast. Like that was a meal for me. So I, it was as if someone turned a switch. Like I'll never forget. I, I ate at the hospital, like whatever they had a sandwich or whatever. And then I made my husband stop at five guys on the way home. And I felt normal. I felt back to normal. I was like, this is amazing. And the the block is different for everyone. So I I didn't know this at the time, but they, they say, get your block as close to surgery as possible because when it wears off, you get worse because the nerves are irritated rebound or something and you get rebound. So, um, it worked. So, which was amazing. I was scared to that. So if it doesn't work, he will not operate on you. So if you don't have a positive you know, block test or whatever. And so, um, it worked. So it was amazing. So everybody gets different relief. Like some people get a week, some people get a couple months. I got a week and then it went back to normal. So, um, we, you had your surgery. Yep. Had my surgery. We flew to Connecticut and I was there for a month, um, and came home, but I, he's saved my life. I mean, I would truly, I don't know where I would, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way, but I, um, yeah, I don't know where I would be today if I didn't have that surgery. It was successful. I've had no issues. I felt better the second I woke up. It just made me really cognizant of, I mean, so I, I posted about this a couple of days ago and said, you know, it truly changed the way I saw patients from a thousand percent that moment on because they're just, it made me think, okay, if, if I have this mm-hmm. and it took me a while to figure out the symptoms and, and literally, mm-hmm. like I said, I was working in the ENT department. Yep. When I figured mine out or, and the only reason mine got figured out is because I happened to sneeze one day and my condition with like things like pressure. So like a sneeze or cough, Mm -hmm. whatever would make me dizzy. Mm -hmm. I sneezed and I like grabbed onto a table to like kind of balance and literally a surgeon who I didn't really even work with. Like he Mm -hmm. worked next to each other was Mm -hmm. walking by me and he goes, Oh, maybe you have a dehiscence. And I was like, ah, that's he's that's absolutely what I have because I knew <laughs> I had been having these weird yeah. symptoms and I had mm-hmm. already been worked up by my own department and everything was negative and normal mm-hmm. but I was getting worse and particularly after my second child was born it was like a bomb went off yes about seven or eight months after she was born it was like yep. a bomb went off and same so you just think about I think you know what if you didn't have, if, if neither of us had a medical yeah. background or were in yes. medicine, I mean, how long would it take to get these answers for mm-hmm. these conditions? And it just made me so much more empathetic for yes. also things that, that people complain about and you're like, suck it up. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. It's again, like you're not dying. And I knew that's why yeah. it was almost embarrassing to talk about yeah. what I was going through because I felt so like, this is this in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. This is not it could be worse. Problem. Yeah. Yeah. It could be so much worse. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you felt the same way. It's, it's, yes. it's really very life altering in terms of how you view your conversations and relationships yes. with other people, I think. And yes. Um, and just, you know, had never, there's so many things I think that you can't really truly 
empathize with. No, unless you've been there. Right. You're never like, I'm, I'm, there's so many, you know, things you and I, I just think about like what's kind of going, been going on recently. And like, you know, I'm a white woman. Like there's yeah. a lot of things I'm never going to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Anyway, that's a definite left turn, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's- absolutely. It, um, it definitely changed the way I provide care. And I, you know, I think I've always been a great provider, but you can't come out of something like this and not be impacted by it, even yeah. in your work. Yeah, truly, truly. I mean, it's it just really, um, you know, not that you hope uh, rare or chronic or terrible debilitating diseases on anybody that you're, you know, it is, it's interesting. It's like you would hope that everybody in medicine would at least mm-hmm. have some experience at some point that would yeah. change, you know, the yeah. way that they view. Absolutely. Healthcare. Cause it does. It, it absolutely does. And that's one thing I would say as a takeaway from this is if you are not getting, you know, the answers we as providers are human and we make mistakes yeah. and we don't know things. And if you are not getting the answers you need, get a second opinion, get a third opinion. And that's your right. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And I think a lot of people too, I, I've said this so many times, the people who are really top of their field and top of their game will never be offended by a second opinion. No. They're like, if you're, because think about it, if you're confident in your no. knowledge and in, in your training and what yep. you know and your experience and you're like, Hey, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I welcome another opinion. If, if there's mm-hmm. somebody that thinks yeah. differently than me or yes. whatever, I mean, and I, I, the people that I work with as head and neck surgeons, you know, you'd see a couple of people every now and again, kind of get their fe- feathers ruffled and it's yeah. like, because they're not the, mm-hmm. they weren't the top person, you know, yeah. or they didn't it's, figure it out. Yeah. And it's like, you just can't, you've got to have no. somebody that's got humility and yes patience. And it's just, it's really, oh man, it's, it's tough. And I, I do, I hope people know, um, you know, to get, get a second opinion yeah. when, when and where you can. And also I think telemedicine is going to change a lot of that for people that I, I agree. Maybe they can't drive to Mayo or mm-hmm. fly to Connecticut and stay in a hotel. Yep. But I think telemedicine hopefully is going to be huge, at least for second and, and third opinions. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So where can people find you? Tell people how they can find you. You can find me on my, my social, my Instagram handle is at Savvy Derm, S-A-V-V-Y Derm. Uh, And I, yeah, I mean, I, I love connecting with my followers and and people and I've I've actually, which has been cool. I did tell my story um, and I I did a a blog. uh, This is MALS.com. And, um, it, it's interesting. I've actually gotten two or three people that were diagnosed because of it. And it's, you know, that's huge that that's yeah. cutting, you know, potentially six months or a year from when they would be diagnosed. So just kind of raising the Definitely. awareness for it is, yeah. and I'm sure you feel the same way about your totally. condition. I do. I'm actually hoping to connect with a lady from California next week who, um, I think has probably has what I had and she's mm-hmm. really struggling and has, ha- has had two opinions mm-hmm. completely conflicting. So mm-hmm. We're just going to kind of chat about how yeah. to navigate that. But yes. Yeah. Katie, thank you so much. Um, Absolutely. We'll have to do it again. Right. We'll do a, we'll do a skincare one. I'm sorry. I'm sure there are people who are going to be like, why didn't they talk about skincare? But don't worry. We will. We will. We'll do another one and yes. definitely go follow Katie Savvy Derm. She's so helpful. Um, and as always guys, if you've liked the, the podcast and if you like hearing helpful information from highly qualified healthcare providers, please follow, rate, subscribe, share it with your friends. That's how we get guests and that's how people find us. And I'll talk to you guys in a week or two. Thanks. Bye Bye, guys.